Welcome to our ongoing series sponsored by Catholic Church Reform International. I'm your host, Renee Reed, and our guest today is Father Tony Flannery from Ireland. He's a religious writer and Roman Catholic Redemptorist priest who was suspended by the Vatican in 2012. He was told by the Vatican that he would be allowed to return to ministry only if he agreed to write, sign, and publish a statement agreeing, among other things, that women should never be ordained as priests and that he would adhere to church orthodoxy on matters like contraception and homosexuality. Tony, welcome to the show, and let me begin by congratulating you for holding your ground and remaining true to your beliefs. Thank you very much, Rene, and it's nice to be with you today. Francis has been our Pope now since 2013, which is the year and the reason that we founded ourselves. But considering that Francis has largely sidelined the CVF, who are the ones who originally outed you, has there been any movement? Have you appealed to the Pope personally about getting reinstated? No, I haven't. Uh, no, to both your questions, Renee, there hasn't been any movement. Uh, and I'll come back to that in a moment. I did not appeal personally to the Pope. Uh, my information is that the Pope does not deal with individual cases. And I can see the reason for that. He has already got more than enough on his plate. But a number of other people have written to him on my behalf, including the former president of Ireland, Mary McAleese. But uh, my understanding is none of them even got a reply. Um, there hasn't been any change in my situation. Uh, I suppose I'm disappointed with that. Particularly, I'm disappointed with my own colleagues in the Redemptorist congregation because it was actually they that withdrew me from ministry. Okay, they did it in 2012 under pressure from the CDF. But as you yourself mentioned, Rene, the CDF doesn't have much power anymore. And I would have thought that the Redemptorist could easily restore me to ministry now, but they're not willing to do so. So maybe they, deep down, think I'm slightly heretical also. I'm so sorry. You know, we founded ourselves because of Francis. Once he was elected, we immediately jumped in to try to do what we could to give him support. But tell me, how do you feel about Francis and how things are going? I'm basically positive about him, Rene. Um, okay, there's a lot of things that you would wish you would do more about, uh, you know, the reform of the Curia is very slowly progressing. Some things are being done. He is really weak on the whole area of women and women's place in the church. And uh, took him a good while to cop on to the, um, the seriousness of the clerical sex abuse crisis. He has improved on that. but. Generally, he's 83 years of age. There is enormous opposition to him. So I'd basically be very positive. He is a lot better than what went before him in the last two pontificates. And, I agree. and we're just hoping that he will manage to pack the uh, 
the cardinal sufficiently to get somebody along the same lines in as his successor. In fact, there's talk of Father of uh, Cardinal Togli being the most likely successor of Francis. What are you hearing, and do you see that as a good thing or not? Personally, I had no knowledge of him at all. I was never in the Philippine Islands, and uh, I hear contrary accounts of him. I understand that uh, as Archbishop of Manila, he, I think it's Manila, isn't it? That, that he yes. took a very strong line against uh, any form of reproductive rights uh, for Catholics, even something as basic as contraception. On the other hand, a good friend of mine, Sean McDonough, who's well known in the world of, of uh, ecology and all of that. He spent a good bit of his time in the Philippine Islands. Sean knew Tagle well, and he speaks very highly of him. And uh, I'm inclined to take that fairly seriously too, because Sean, Sean is a good guy and knows what he's talking about. So that's as far as I could go on that one, Rene. Well, the role of women is the key issue that led the Vatican to come down on you. Do you see this issue making any headway within the inner circles of the church? Little enough, Renee. Uh, much less than one would hope. And it is so crucial and central. Uh, I see it here in Ireland that particularly young women uh, just have no time at all for the church because of the uh, discrimination against women and the fact that women have it isn't just the ordination issue it's if anything it's more the lack of women's voices in decision making in the church and young women regard that as so utterly uh, out of date uh, the the world that they live in uh, is much more in tune with equality so it's a major problem for the church and we're absolutely not moving anything like quickly enough on it. I don't know if you've heard, but there's uh, major plans underway to celebrate International Women's Day, which is March 8th, by asking women all over the entire world to wear white that day as a symbol of our standing in unity to support women being recognized in the church. And there are many countries that have already stepped forward and I hope that there will be more, more to come. That's a great idea, Renee. I hadn't heard about it. That hasn't made news in Ireland yet. So if, if we, we could maybe get that word out, I think it's a great idea. The clerical sex abuse issue is not going away either. And I expect more revelations to come. But what I'm wondering is what more can the laity do to combat this issue? I mean, without waiting for the local bishops to take action, do you see a way for the people to establish a tribunal in their own community to address these issues? What can we do? I, I think that would be very difficult, Rene. I suppose, again, speaking from the Irish perspective, we've had one, two, three, four tribunals, but they were set up by the state rather than by groups of lay people. Um, the difficulty 
I see, and that is that the sorts of people who would be inclined to do that have already long departed from the church. And those who are left tend to be older and more traditional and much less inclined, uh, much less inclined to go with the clerical establishment rather than to challenge them. So I wouldn't be hopeful about that as a development. Uh, some um, experts on child and clerical sexual abuse who has worked a lot in Ireland that I was speaking to the other day would say that the amount of allegations coming through in Ireland now are very few, largely because the, uh, most of the priests that are around, the comment I made to him was, we're all too old to do anything anymore. And uh, so that the, the complaints are mostly historical and against priests who are dead. So in a sense, in Ireland, we're moving past it. But obviously, in other parts of the church, it's only beginning to emerge, say, like in, in Africa and the Far East and South America. And that's where the real issue will be in the next 10, 20 years, as I see it. Well, you see Francis, his effort is to take the focus off of rigid doctrine and place it on pastoral practice. And I think we're all supportive of that. But where do you see this going? And how can progressive lay leaders support this effort? We may not be able to do anything about tribunals, but what can we do about Francis' vision of a pastoral practice? I'm busily writing a book on it at the moment. I think this too is a big issue because a lot of traditional Catholic church doctrine makes no sense anymore. The world has moved on our whole understanding of life, of creation, of the universe, and of God has changed greatly in, in the last half century or so. So our doctrines are just completely out of date. And the language that is used in expressing the doctrines doesn't make sense anymore. How will the church change? It's going to be very, very difficult because as, as we've seen over the years, the church authorities hang on to doctrines. Like I find myself now, now that I'm not allowed to celebrate this public, I tend to just attend mass. And when it gets to things like reciting the creed, most of it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. And often the language of the liturgy is embedded in the old doctrines that are also out of date. So you've touched on an enormous problem here for the church and it'll take more than Francis to do something about that, but hopefully the next pope and if the, if the spirit is at work. You speak about the next pope, I'm thinking about the uh, beautiful film, The Two Popes, that seems to have and it's fictional, has come to real life, and somehow Benedict has gotten himself dragged into the middle and crosswise from Francis by holding on to his beliefs of mandatory priestly celibacy he has to remain. <laughs> do you see this blowing up, uh, or do you see this getting resolved? 
I, I see it remaining there as a sore at the heart of the church. I don't see it being resolved because I actually believe that Benedict is devious in the way that he's behaving towards Francis. Um, I, I watched and enjoyed the two popes, but I didn't think it was very realistic, really. Um, I myself was involved in another movie, which has just come out, a German movie on Ratzinger, Defender of the Faith, which I think paints a more accurate picture of a man who hasn't let go of power and control. And, and that's the way I see Benedict. He should never have stayed in the Vatican. Uh, when he retired, he should have gone out of there. Uh, why didn't he? So I, I would not have positive feelings towards Benedict. I think he's, this is a hard thing to say, but I think he's a bit of a snake in the grass. I know he's being used by Sarah and others. And they say he's so old that he doesn't quite know what's happening. Well, if that is the case, then people around him, people like Ganswain and those, it is they that are the real uh, damage in this situation. But it's not nice, not good, and it won't resolve itself until he's gone from there. There must be some way that we the people can step in and do something. It's it's our duty, it's our responsibility in my mind. And Francis talks about the upside down pyramid, but it's just a fantasy. It's not reality. There's got to be a way that people see what Francis is up against. Everyone loves him inside and outside the church, but we're just kind of sitting back, watching what's going on. It seems that we've we need to be taking some action. I know, Rene, but it's so difficult. I've been involved, as you probably know, in church reform actively for the last 10 years and in the international network. And we make statements, we've written to the Pope, we've looked for meetings. It's just a brick wall. Uh, it's so hard to have any influence at the heart of the Vatican. Uh, I know we need to keep trying, but there is a very major inability in the uh, in the, the among, among the really powerful people in the Vatican to listen to anything from a lay person. So it's difficult. If, if you were given some new role where your ideas were actually listened to, really heard, where would you begin in the reform movement? Oh God, that's an unfair question. <laughs> <laughs> I know where I'd begin, but I think you know where you'd begin. <laughs> no, no, the reason I react there, Rene, is currently here in Ireland, we're in the middle of a it, uh, an election campaign. We have a, a general election next Saturday. And so we have all the parties coming out with all sorts of promises about what they would do if they were in power and everything like that. And uh, of course, when you're there and when you have the authority, it can often be more difficult. 
having said that, I I think, I the, think movement, the, the movement of the Senneville Church is a key to the thing. Now, it's very, very difficult, but in other words, giving a voice to all the different sections in the church and a realistic voice, which will influence the way things are done and the decisions that are made. That's the way we have to go. It's, it's, it's a long, slow and tedious process because when you start consulting people, all sorts of voices start coming back at you, uh, but it, it is the only way to do it. Some tentative efforts have been made in this country, but what tends to happen is that a good process of discussion takes place, a document is drawn up, and then nothing more happens. And that, of course, is hopeless, because the next time you want to consult those people, they'll say, what's the point? Nothing was done the last time. But that is the way I would try be trying to push things. And what you're describing seems to be along the lines of what's going on with the synodal path or pathway going on in Germany right now. And that, they are actually, it's a yeah. beautiful experiment. And for our listeners, this is a, uh, an opportunity for priests and lay people to sit down together and discuss these matters. And they, they, their attire even is dressed similarly with just white shirts and black pants that all are wearing, but all are intermingled. There's no hierarchical seating everyone is treated as equals and they're openly discussing reform movements um, i can hardly wait to see the outcome of this and it's been it's been in, in planned now for almost a couple of years but they're in the process of doing it now i'm it, it very is, very intrigued it, it it is it's a wonderful process i must say here in ireland we're looking at it jealously and saying why couldn't we do something like that here? So hopefully it will go well, but the courage involved and the fact that the Cardinal Marx and the upper echelons of the church have bought totally into it is, is a wonderful thing to see. So there is real hope there. I'd agree with you on that. Well, if I were to be listened to, I think one of the places besides the obvious of the role of women uh, and dealing with the having the divorced and remarried having a, a recommended path to returning to the sacraments besides the obvious things I think one of the places I would want to see us begin is by moving much more toward developing small groups of believers small faith groups uh, kind of returning to the what's in my mind the way that things worked in the early church. They didn't have hierarchy, they didn't have priests, they didn't have ordained ministers. People came together in small groups to recall the Last Supper, to remember what Jesus did for them. I'm a member of one of these groups and I really value my, my time with this community. I don't know, what do you think about 
that as being part of the future of the church? Oh, very much part of the future of the church, I'd say. Uh, from my experience in, in the States, it is much more developing there than it is here, though. Gradually, I'm aware of four or five different groups who meet regularly and celebrate Eucharist and that in their own houses. Uh, so it's beginning to happen here too, and it will definitely be part of the future. And as the institutional church loses more and more credibility, people will turn to the smaller groups for their sustenance and for their spiritual nourishment. Very much part of the future. And in, uh, in India, uh, particularly in East India, where there is just such a shortage of priests, I'm told by Father Joe Healy that they have 180,000 small Christian communities in that country alone because they don't have an alternative. I, yes. I think that's really, that's really the necessity good. is leading us in the right direction. That's right, absolutely. And I suppose we had that in South America 30, 40 years ago, and then John Paul put a stop to it. So you just hope that something like that doesn't come in to, to uh, destroy the movement in India also. I wonder, are they generally celebrating Eucharist? Or they, do they just meet to reflect on the, on the scriptures and that? I, th I think they do it in a variety of ways. Many of them are going over this, but the coming Sunday's gospel and discussing it among themselves and preparing for it. But I think in other places, they are having a gathering that they remember as a community that this is that Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. Yes. And whatever one perceives and conceives of what's happening there, I think that's what they're doing. But anything like that, has to be encouraged and uh, and nourished because the institution is just not working for people anymore. So how else do we preserve the faith and keep the message alive? Certainly the Amazonian Synod went far in this direction, suggesting with, with their extreme shortage of priests that respected already married men be allowed to be go through the process to study and to be ordained not for the general priesthood but just for their community to stay in their region and be able to consecrate the host in their in their little with their little community i think that uh, is likely to get the support of the pope hopefully it will now uh, if it does, again, the, the uh, opposition will be clamoring against it and calling it heretical and all of that. Then on the other hand, if it does get to go ahead for the Amazonian region, places like ourselves here in Ireland will certainly be looking for it because within 10 to 15 years, there will be only a handful of active priests left in Ireland. So. It's an, it, it, so it'd be great, like I'm waiting in anticipation of what Francis would say on that, because if he, if he moves on that one, it's really worthwhile.
Tony, we at CCRI have given so much, we've given up hope of being able to bring about any renewal by appealing to the bishops. We spent our first three years in existence writing letters to them. And yes. we get an occasional token response, but nothing that begins to move the, the, the system. So we now are putting our, our focus and all of our energy into the, lay, the laity and the leadership of the people. And we believe that's the only way change is gonna come is from the bottom up. But I know. That's, I know. That's, that's very, very, very difficult. It's very difficult, but it is the way to go. And certainly from my experience in the past 10 years of trying to deal with church authorities and with the Vatican and indeed with the head leadership of the Redemptus congregation, I think it is so futile. Uh, it's quite extraordinary, uh, Rene. I've known men who were very good priests, you know, in the sense of being open and having a good vision for the future, and then put a mitre on their head, and they become different people. They become dogmatic and authoritarian and lose the ability to listen to anybody. So there's something really sick at the heart of the authority structure in the church. So absolutely, you're going the right way, uh, working with the laity and seeing the hope uh, for change and for the future of the church in the movements from the ground up. But generally speaking, the people who do attend church, as much as they agree with the need for change, are still content to sit in the pew week after week without feeling any responsibility to do anything about it. I, I don't know how to move the masses to say this is our church, we are the church. This is not right what is happening with the sex abuse scandal, with women ousted from the church and not recognized as, as, as in, in an equal fashion, with the LGBT community treated like they are a, quote, disordered state. But I, I want to see people get feelings about that and to rise up and say, we have to take responsibility. We have to do something. Do you have any insights into how to make that happen? <laughs> I, I think that the real problem there is that traditional Catholicism was a very personalized thing. You went to Mass and you said your prayers and your aim was to save your soul. It was quite a selfish, uh, self-centered type of religion. Uh, the, the notion of the broader sense of the social dimension of Christianity and of the church really wasn't that significant. So the, it's the same here. I see the people who are going to church they just want to say their prayers and not be bothered. And to some extent also, they're fulfilling the old obligation of going to Mass on Sunday. Whereas the ones who are committed to change have by and large stopped going to church. Uh, so, uh, so I wouldn't have any great hope of changing the, the traditional regular church board. Uh, they'll just stay doing what they do. I, I agree with you. I've often said that I suspect the largest religious denomination in the world are former Catholics, the ones <laughs> who dropped out. 
and perhaps if there is some way through things that are happening like in Germany or people synods that are beginning to rise up around the world that people will get inspired that some light bulb will go off and there will be uh, an epiphany moment that says we must step forward I'm praying for that <laughs> good for you really. that's a good thing to be praying for <laughs> if any of our listeners want to ask Father a question, feel free to leave a message on our voice messaging system and we will pass that on to him. And in the meantime, Father Tony Flannery, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for taking the stand you've taken and thank you for holding firm to it. Thank you very much, Renee. Good talking to you. My apologies over my other phone was ringing there, but that's okay. Thank no. you. Not a problem. Okay. Bye-bye.